This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. And live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, this is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill, Hunter Brody. Josh Henning producing today's show. You out there, wherever you may be, stay safe. And, of course, oh, boy, a uh, interesting day we have upon us here on a Tuesday, Broads, as we look at uh, what could be the next step in Major League Baseball, the NBA, even the NHL. We'll talk to Kevin Durso at the bottom of the hour as the Flyers hopefully will be uh, – in action for the playoffs sometime soon. We know the NBA. We talked yesterday with MKB. Uh, they're looking at a possible 22-team, some sort of playoff tournament scenario in Orlando. Uh, but baseball has kind of been the one that we've been waiting for. If This is their season right now. They are. Uh, can you imagine? Baseball would be into the June swoon. I mean, they would be into, like, the dog days of summer here pretty quickly. Uh this is like the time where baseball would be in the middle of their season. We would be about a month from the All-Star break, and instead we're trying to find ways uh, that Major League Baseball can get back on the field. And late in the show yesterday, uh, the MLB and the MLPA uh, have been basically at war over uh, payment here. They want to figure out how to pay these players, and the union side proposed a 114-game schedule uh and then i guess late last night a 50 game season was proposed in some kind of capacity and now even that appears to be just a number that was thrown out there just to kind of feel out the size yeah so it wasn't actually proposed that i i learned that this is just hey worst case scenario you two parties aren't going to get anything done the owners and the players are not going to get anything done the league stepped in and said, this will be what happened. So you guys better figure it out or there will be about a 50-game schedule where you will get paid from that prorated agreement in March. And I always, I, I've been sitting here and I've been questioning, who does this favor? Does this favor the, the owners? At this point, should the owners just sit back and say, listen, I mean, 50-game season, let's take that because we don't need to pay them that much if that's the case. Does that put pressure on the players to come to an agreement, so then they play more than 50. Well, uh, it's, it's even been reported that it could be as low as 42 games as a possibility, that according to the L.A. Times, and at least to the owners, that would offer some sort of season. You know, Some owners of Major League Baseball claiming that, they would, uh, that Major League Baseball itself would lose $4 billion if there's an 82-game schedule that has no fans in the sand, uh, stands and the players receive their full prorated salaries. I mean, you're in a situation where I hear $4 billion. I'm not sick. I mean, you could potentially bankrupt the game if you don't come back and do this the right way. So, you know, I think there does have to be some observation of, hey, can baseball, a declining sport, yes, it makes a ton of money, but can they handle moving forward a $4 billion loss and be functioning in the same capacity that we once knew it. I don't think so. And and I hate that 
if you don't side with the players to get paid their money, you're a bad guy and you're pro owner. And that's not the case. I mean, they have a say in this as well. And they are the top. I mean, the owners are the top. The players, yes, you need the players to play. But the owners make that final decision. I mean, they are the owners. So they have the upper hand in this conversation. They have the hands, the cards in their hands. So, you know, I don't like the fact that if you somewhat lean a little bit with the owners in certain situations of this big agreement, you're labeled as some bad guy that hate the players because that's not the case. You're allowed to think that one side has some things that you like and that the other side has other things that you like and try to blend them together. There is no absolute that one side has got the right answer and the other side is completely wrong. You are allowed to believe that, hey, I think the owners have a couple of points that they're making that is correct, and I think the players have a couple of rights that they are making that is correct. Then we get those views to kind of meet in the middle somewhere and try to get on with this season. As of now, though, a 50-game season, I don't think it's something that the players are going to accept. Uh, Rob Manfred, the commissioner, he's allowed to implement as long or short as a schedule that he wants, though. He's allowed to basically say, look, this is my decision. We're going to go with a 50-game schedule. Yeah, they don't. it's not about the players accepting it or not. That's the league coming down and saying this is what it's going to be, right? Pretty much. I mean, the deal says the commissioner's office must make best efforts to play as many games as possible. So if he's hearing from his teams, hey, we might lose $4 billion if we don't play, if we play 82 games in front of no players. If you're the commissioner, you cannot send – your teams out there, your Major League Baseball clubs out there with the possibility they could bankrupt themselves. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is just getting uglier and uglier. And I think what this is to an extent is it's the league coming up with a deadline, a very limited deadline. I wish they would come out and say, hey, listen, you got to have it by this date. It would feel a lot different. But essentially, this is the mindset that they're going with. Get something done or this will be it. I just feel in this scenario, the owners can kind of sit back because 50 games to them, even though it's the prorated agreement in March, 50 games to them, it's all right, it's only 50. Right, and the players, let's not, you know, if you're saying, hey, you're a bad guy if you're siding with the owners, the players and the owners both have finances at the top of their mindset when they're looking at this. Neither one is saying hey, we want to do good by the people out there and put on a product because nobody has sports and we want the opportunity to go out there and kind of bring you some normalcy. That hasn't been mentioned at any point of these negotiations. This is all financially driven, and the league's potential proposal would entitle the players to prorated salaries. But I don't know that it moves the needle of them enough about um, you know, the possibility of getting sick or – you know, having a setback or people, you know, this coronavirus seems like it's out of sight, out of mind right now because of everything else that's going on. And you hate to think about that, but hey, there's a potential that, you know, going back out there, you might be putting yourself at risk. We don't know. I mean, it seems that nobody has talked about what is going on with that portion of the, the world we're living in for days now. And the players, some of them of which have said, I don't know that it's safe to go back out there. And I don't know that baseball has put up a, a way for the players to put their minds at ease at that either at this point. 
I don't know if that's their biggest concern, though. I do think it is money. Even Blake Snell said that himself. Yeah, there's a risk, and I don't know if I'd be willing to play for that risk with this contract, but if it was a different contract, I would be all on it. So you're right. That is a big part of this, no doubt, the health. But it seems as if that's second. That might even be third. It's all about the money. It's all about getting paid the proper amount. And that's why this 50-game thing, the players get their agreement that they signed for in March, which is huge. But the part that makes it huge is having more games. I mean, they want that prorated salary with 114 games. And that's where the dilemma is going to come into play. And, And that's my biggest concern with their initial proposal back to the owners was they came up with some pretty good plans. The problem is all those plans relied on the March 26th agreement. And it's pretty damn obvious that the owners are not going to settle with that March 26th agreement. Yeah. And, you know, another thing is here, you know, look, 50 games is not acceptable to the union side. I don't think that's going to fly at all. Furthermore, I think the potential proposal um, would make nearly enough of a – I don't think it makes a financial difference if they play, in the player's mind, 50 games, you know, like for the – I don't think that the 50 games – that's like a – it almost seems like a gimmicky play-in tournament type of thing. Hey, we're going to do a 50-game round robin real fast. So I don't think the players' union is going for that. And I think the potential proposal wouldn't make nearly enough of a financial difference in the player's mind – They'd earn roughly 31% of their pay if they play 51 games. That's not going to push their pile at all. Right. I mean, if they played more games for less money per, they're essentially making the same amount as playing less games with more money per. It's essentially screwing them either way. Well, and the question is, does playing a 50-game schedule, is it worthwhile in terms of would it behoove the players to put themselves at greater risk for injury, forget or COVID nineteen, um, to play fifty games? Do you just say, you know what, for thirty one percent of my money, I'm out? It's crazy that yeah, I mean it's very possible. It's crazy that with this scenario, the team that won the World Series last year wouldn't even be involved in the playoffs because of how poor of a start they had last year. I mean, you put 50 games together of the Nationals, they won the whole damn thing, and they wouldn't even be in postseason play. Well, and as Frank Close wrote at 97.3 ESPN.com last week, and he'll join us uh, at 3 o'clock today, the Phillies would be a team that would have been in the playoffs after probably you know an 82-game schedule. I don't know about where they stood after 50 games last year, but... They have been a team over the last two years with Gabe Kapler that would have been a playoff team if you only played 82 games. Ah, maybe they should have done that the last two years then. Yeah, think but, about um, that. Would you still hate the face of Gabe <laughs> Kapler if they made the playoffs two years in a row? Would I hate the face? No, 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 no. I told you I can separate not liking someone from a personal standpoint if the product on the field is working. So I, I would be okay with Gabe Kapler if they were making playoffs, no doubt. All right, well, if, if it was an 82-game season, which you're going to get this year, uh, or something in that ballpark, I would imagine. I don't know. I think at the end of the day, you're probably going to see about 90, 95 games, maybe around 100. Yeah, I think that's fair. Look, the, the MLB, the owners originally sent 82 over. The players countered with 114. The league is saying 50. I mean, if we just use logic and, and figure out how, you know, we've seen this happen before in the past with, 
CBA agreements and how people throw out obnoxious things on one side and the other, then they meet in the middle. We're probably going to see around that 80, 90 game season, which is fine with me at this point. Well, I think at this point too, another thing to consider when, you know, this continues to kind of look like a dire situation. The more you think about it, the more the days go on. Hey, we're at June 2nd. They wanted something done by June the 1st. They want to talk about playing games. The players did June the 30th. So I don't see June the 30th happening at all, unless literally by the end of today's show, which possibly could happen. I mean, yesterday when we started the show, there was a 114-game schedule. Then Jeff Passan later on in the show threw out this possibility that, hey, 50 games, 50, 60 games could be uh, where we're at. But um, especially with time running out towards the actual starting the season of, you know, by a certain date, if you say July 4th, I'd love to see – Opening day, July fourth. It's the fourth of July. Let's let's start baseball back up. You're the sands certainly trickling through the hourglass on that. Now, if the owners don't offer another counter proposal, are the players done talking? Is this it? Well, what would they do? Is it? I would say at this point, the ball is in the owners' court. Right. I mean, it goes back and forth, back and forth. Are the players about to once again send another one? Now, look. That would be good. I would like them to do that. That shows them stepping up. I talked about how these two parties need to step up. I wouldn't be against the player stepping up and going two proposals in a row because that means, listen, we're done screwing around. We want to play. We want to get our product back on that diamond, and we want to compete. If they were the ones to send the next proposal, so it would be owners with the first one, players respond, the league comes out with essentially a deadline to an extent, a minor extent, and then the players respond once again. Yeah, I would love that. It would show that they are being the responsible ones in this situation. 609-403-0973, the text board. 609-403-0973 is the text board. If you want to uh, kind of pop your idea out there. My idea, I thought about when we talked about this a little bit last week, is there is a way to me for both sides to kind of say, look, you know, you offered 82 games. We said 114. All right, we'll find the middle ground here. We're all okay with that. We said 114 knowing that you'll probably accept accept 100. Or let's even go further down. We'll do 92 games, something like that, right? And then what we need to work on is the salaries. You offered us this scenario where they would get this, 50%. 50%. We all agreed to the 50%. Then you offered us another prorated salary after this whole thing. All right. We already negotiated a 50% cut in salary for this year. But because of the circumstances with no fans, we are at least willing to say, hey, we need to tweak that a little bit more. However, our top line players, $10 million and more, their salaries will not be affected. Now, you might say, well, that's not fair to the majority of your league. We got to have it. We got to have an agreement here. We got to have some sort of balance. I'm sorry. They're still going to make 91% of their salary. If that's how it's going to have to work, yeah. I mean, there's going to be people that are unhappy. The one thing that I instantly thought about when you brought that up was with the whole game situation, and, and you brought that up first. All right, 90 games. Well, the games. The amount of games, that's all going to come down to how much they're getting paid with the prorated salary because that factors into how many games they can play without the owners losing an obnoxious amount of money or not. So it it comes down to the contract first. Once you find out the pay 
then everything else is easy as hell. You know, I mean, the pay yeah. is the problem because that that means 100 games or 80 games or 70 games or whatever. I mean, the pay is the big time issue at this moment. Well, and, not and look, I think you're right about that, Broads. It's the play on the field and all that stuff that could all be agreed upon. You know, how many games, where we're going to play, how it's going to look. Uh, microphoning the players up, doing interviews maybe between innings, doing a home run derby, having all sorts of stuff to try to bring more money in. That could be explored. But the shorter season, the length of the season, and the monetary compensation for the players, that is the biggest hurdle here. And I don't know, is... You would say that's an unfortunate part of this is that this is what they are battling. Like baseball, essentially, you look at the KBO. Is it realistic to think that there could be Major League Baseball games being played right now? I would think right now at this very second, maybe not this very second, but I think in June. I don't think June would be unrealistic. Okay, June 22nd is when the governor of New Jersey said that we can start having baseball like practices for youth leagues and stuff like that. I got an email uh, today from you know our league that's basically saying, hey, is there interest in summer baseball that we can go back to practice on the tour? Now, you can't start playing games, but you can at least get out there and do some stuff. So if I say June 22nd that baseball could get back out there and play, it's not going to happen. I mean, obviously, they haven't even have an agreement yet. But there's no reason why physically they couldn't probably – um, get a season up off the ground if they didn't have this hurdle of the money. Yeah, if you told me June 18th, spring training 2.0 would kick off, I would say, yeah, I feel like that might be realistic. Right, a little spring training, take some ground balls, throw the ball around. I think that that's reasonable. Uh, according to two players connected uh, contacted by ESPN on Monday who would not speak publicly because of uh, the sensitive nature of the allegations. Players might simply feel the risk isn't worth the smaller reward a shorter season would bring, and not just because of COVID-19. At 25% of their full salary for 25% of a full-length season, risking an arm injury that could linger into the foreseeable future becomes a risky gamble. And what if a player hits 180 in 40 to 50 games? Cold stretches like that happen all the time. This is from the article uh, written by Jesse Rogers at ESPN.com. What does his contract via arbitration or free agency look like in 2021? That's a point that really hasn't been discussed. What if you're a free agent, JT Romuto, and in 50 games you hit 181? I have a counter for that. We actually discussed it a little bit on the Powder Blue podcast, which you will hear tonight from 6 to 7 after the sports bash. What if you hit 450? Why does it have to be what if I hit 180? What if you hit 450? What if you hit 420? Yep. Then you're making way more money. I mean, it's a gamble, yeah, no doubt, but let's not act like the only way is a negative way. You can totally benefit from this as well, and I think that should be in the discussion just as much as the alternative, which is having a bad run. It's a fair retort, no question about it, but the other part of it was, what if I get an arm injury? But here's the thing. I, I, I don't like that because any year in baseball, you can have an arm injury. So if you want to play with that mindset, well, then don't play baseball because you can get hurt at any point. Well, I think the you're right about that. but I, And just to play devil's advocate, I agree with you. Like, you can get hurt. You can have a cold stretch. You can have a hot stretch. I think their point is I could get hurt playing 
in a condensed season, 40, 50 games, where I might not be ready to play. They might be just forcing us back out there, and I didn't have regular spring training. I'm kind of out of my routines and all that stuff, which led me to get hurt. Okay, well, then what they do is they implement what the players propose to the league, and it says right here, any player can sit out the season for no pay. That if is, you feel that uncomfortable. Is the, that is from the player's proposal. That's made correct. that clear, right. So if that player feels like he's in a position where he might get injured or he doesn't feel like he's ready or the spring training wasn't right, it says it right here from the players. You can sit out the season and not get paid. So if you are that worried about it, then you have the option to not play. It's right there for you. Yeah, no, I, I think if the player's proposal, and again, I, I going back over this last night, the player's proposal is a much more fair and realistic possibility than the owner's proposal. It's just no that doubt. the owner's, like, put yourself in the owner's chair here and ask yourself, do I want to pay players even 50% of their salaries to be playing games with nobody in the stands? Well, the answer is no, but the argument is, do you believe them when they say we will not be making X amount of money? And, and that's what the argument is. Well, I mean, are, are they really making such a small amount of money that they're claiming let's or try losing to, money? Well, let's actually. try to be creative here then. How can these teams generate revenue? What well, else TV. do they – what else – the TV revenues, yes. All right. TV revenues. So what else – and one of the reasons I think that they wanted to play in their home ballparks – was that they could sell more advertising playing in their home ballparks with empty stands so that they can be seen on TV. You know, you have the outfield wall signs and the stuff like that. They wanted to be able to utilize those opportunities. Right. So it would come down to what they can still make money on now without fans. Problem it with would that be is, the though, TV and the sponsorship. The problem with that is you're telling the teams, and I'm, you know, I'm just trying to find some ways to kind of look back and forth at this, you're telling the team to try to make up for lost revenue of ticket sales, beer sales, jersey sales, food sales, parking sales with advertising dollars. Well, I got a new slash for you. Advertising sales are way down. So you're saying you can still go make more money, just bring in some ad dollars. All right, I'm going to call up a business and be like, hey, would you like to sponsor the Phillies this year? Well, there's nobody in the ballpark. Well, your sign's going to be on TV. Well, we haven't had anybody in our store for quite some time now. I mean, it's a tough scenario to say that's how you're going to make up not having fans in the stands that you can sell more advertising now. Not only that. How about the ML or how about the NBA? How about the NHL? How about the NFL? I mean, if they're going on at the same time, will you spend your money on an NBA game over an NHL game or or you know, like there's other leagues to spend your money on if you're a business that might be better than baseball is what I'm getting at. Another point is we brought this up yesterday. Is all these sports coming back at the same time? If I'm baseball and I'm making a call, hey, would you like to advertise with us for the 2020 season? You know, I might say, yeah, you know what? The Sixers are in the playoffs. They already called me. Normally, I would spend my money with you. I know I've done it for years in the middle of the summer. I'm Tasty Cake, for instance. Had one last night. But the Sixers are playing playoff games. I, I think I'm going to go spend my money that way. Could happen. Sports Bass brought to you by Matt Black Kia. Matt Blatt wants to get you approved today. That's Matt Black Kia on the Black Horse Pike in Egg Harbor Township. Mike Gill, Hunter Brody, Broads81 on Twitter, at Mike Gill Show. 
Download the free mobile app and take the Sports Bash with you anywhere you go. Hit us up on the text board, 609-403-0973. More baseball on the way with Frank Close at 3 o'clock. But when we come back, the biggest question for the Flyers heading into the playoffs, the biggest question remaining for all the 24 teams, what's the biggest question for the Flyers? It's very Sixers-esque. We'll explain coming up next with Kevin Durso. Don't forget to download the free 97.3 ESPN mobile app brought to you by First Bank of Seattle, or KB County's lending expert banking for your everyday life at First Bank of Seattle. Find out how First Bank can simplify your banking needs. Your partner since 1888, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Michael Hunter Brody here on a uh, Tuesday. Now, the NHL is going to come back in a 24-game, 24-team, I should say, playoff scenario. What are the biggest questions for each of those teams? Well, the Flyers have an interesting one, Broads, and it's very Sixers-esque. What are the splits for Carrier Hart in goal on home ice and on the road? Very, very, very different, aren't they? Yeah, it's not good. I'll tell you that for free. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for the insight. Uh, it's definitely different. I thought you had his records in front of you. You just rattled no, I them off do. I, I thought we were teasing the public here a little I mean, bit. I really all. laid it right up on the table for you there. I mean, it was on a tee. What were the splits on the home and the road? I thought we were... T- <laughs> I thought we were teasing the public. Here's Kevin Durso. Let's let's get into it a little bit. 23-2 and two at home and 4-10-1 and and on the road. Not good on the road. No, not Yet at all. We never hear people complain about uh, Carter Hart on the road like we do the Sixers on the road. We only hear about how good he is when he plays at home. So why do we have the reverse thought for Flyers than we do Sixers? Well, there's a, there's a little bit of the Flyers faithful that got on Carter a little bit there towards the end before everything happened. So let's ask Kevin Durso. Kevin, do you view... Fans, no fans in the stands, potentially. Are they home games or road games for Carter Hart? That's a great question, whether it's viewed as a home or road game. I guess it would be determined based upon whatever uniform they're wearing that day. You know, if you're wearing the home uniform, I guess you're the home team. And if you're wearing the away uniform, I guess you're the away team. And it doesn't matter where you're playing. One of the things that I came back to with this question was that Part of the home split for Carter Hart during the season includes the game in Prague, Czech Republic, which is a neutral site with neutral fans, and he won that game making 28 saves on 31 shots in a 4-3 victory for the Flyers that opened their season on October 4th. doesn't change the rest of the numbers, obviously, but it does include a scenario where you are playing in neutral conditions. Otherwise, though, yes, the rest of the numbers don't stack up very well. His goals against average at home is 1.63. It's 3.81 on the road. His save percentage at home is a .943, and it's on the road it's .857. And that, that's not just a one good, one bad. It's a dramatic shift. I mean, it's, it's not like he's a 900 and he's like a 925 at home and 900 on the road. It, there's a dramatic split. Now, there are a few things additionally that – skew the numbers a little bit he did have some just downright terrible starts at the beginning of the year he was pulled in three of his first seven road starts 
Uh, he was a starter three times on the six-game road trip where arguably the rest of the team played their worst hockey of the season as well. But the playoffs are a different animal, and this is going to be his first exposure to the Stanley Cup playoffs, fans or no fans. And this could be a factor, especially when you're not playing in the comfort of your own building, whether there are no fans in the building or not. Yeah, you wonder, um, you know, the, the, the Flyers, I don't want to say protected him a little bit, but when they saw the splits were so different, you saw Elliott play in some of those games. And I can't imagine, Kevin, that they would go down that road. If you get to the playoffs, or once you're in the playoffs, which is essentially what you're going to be playing, you're going to see Carter Hart exclusively, right? Yeah, and, and I think that one of the disadvantages of the pause, as much as we had talked previously about the 2014 system and how the round robin provides the Flyers with nothing to lose and everything to gain, one of the downsides is, is I think they were going to, under normal circumstances, start to ramp up his usage on the road in those last few games. They had a game in Tampa that was supposed to be played on the day the league paused. It's my belief that Carter Hart was starting that game. And there were others down the line that you would have thrown him into that environment and said, this is close enough to playoff environment on the road as you're going to get. This is your tune-up to be ready for a playoff atmosphere on the road. And it was their way of possibly trying to show the rest of the fan base that there was no truth to this mindset, that he was good enough to play on the road and could carry this team through the playoffs if need be. They never got that far. So now you're left with the numbers that are in front of you, which obviously are not very good. The way I look at it is this no fan atmosphere is totally different from an away atmosphere. I mean, when you're in a hostile environment, it's crazy. I mean, the the noise is so loud. Here, it's so unique and so different. I don't know if it's fair to use any of these stats for or against them. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I mean, I mean, look, there's no there's no fans in the building, and that means there's no one who's making a lot of noise around you and trying to get into your head especially during the playoffs. You know, during the playoffs, you're watching a game and a team scores a goal on their home ice and the fans will start chanting the goalie's name, trying to get him off of his game even more. And that's obviously not going to be a situation that anybody's put in in an empty arena. But there are things about using your own facilities that make things much more routine. There's a comfort level. So this is going to be, I mean, it's going to be an experience for every single one of them. For goalies who are especially you know, have this mindset and this preparation style that really gets them in, you know, focused and into the game and locked in quickly. That could come into play, especially with a goalie who is as young as Carter Hart is, as opposed to some of the other veteran goalies who are out there who are part of this playoff structure. Carter Hart is definitely dedicated to learning how to be a professional. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you can just see all those little stories on him of the way he prepares, the way that he has developed from juniors to pro when it comes to just learning the schedule. So do you think that his mentality is so strong when and, and when it comes to his focus of the game, that it's so strong that he might have an edge compared to some other goalies out there? Yeah, I do, and, and I've, co- I've come to see that from the very beginning with him. He's just so much more prepared, and he studies so much on what he has to do for himself to keep his game on track. It's really something that's not seen in young goalies at that level. It's why he progressed as quickly as he did, too. It, it, you don't see goalies making their debut at 20 years old and finding a way to lock themselves into the starter role that quickly, not, not at least without having some form of adversity thrown their way. And he had his share at the beginning of the year, but it didn't change the, the method any. It didn't mean they were going to send him down. It didn't mean that they were going to try to find a way to get him more time in a league that was below to try to 
get his, get his confidence back. He was going to work through it at an NHL level because the best in the league who have been doing it for five, six, seven years have to do it that way. So they gave him that test as well. And just, just talking to other players who have been in the game for a while who take a look at a goalie like this who prepares at his age, and to a lot of them it's unheard of. So he, he has the, the makeup to be a, a great goalie. And I, may, I think the one big question also that you face when you talk about Carter Hart, not just the splits, home and away, and are these games going to be considered away games? It's like I said with the playoffs. It's a different animal, and this is his first exposure at 21 years old. Is it almost too early to pile that kind of expectation on him in just his second year in the league when he's got a career down the road based on everything we've seen so far that it could last 10, 15 years and possibly all be with the same team? And who knows? The sky's the limit for him from there. But early on, you don't just expect the world from him immediately. So that's a big question that I think they face as well. Kevin Durso, 97.3ESPN.com. Uh, in that little round-robin situation, would you anticipate seeing Brian Elliott play one of those games? Quite possibly. Uh, from To my understanding also, it's not just going to be a round-robin, but there was also, I, I heard a rumor about two exhibition games for every team before everything, too. So I would imagine that each goalie would get one of those exhibition games if that were the case. And then from there, I think you might start to try to shift into who your regular starter is going to be. But I wouldn't be surprised if Hart got two and Elliott got one. Not to get too sidetracked or anything, but Nolan Patrick, is there any update on him? I mean, is it possible? Because when Gil mentioned another goalie playing in that round, Robin, I was thinking, is there maybe another player that can help out? And is it possible that Nolan Patrick could maybe be ready by then? There really is no update per se, and I wonder how much of that is stamping from the Flyers in terms of until we have concrete dates where players are actually trying to prepare on the ice, then you will hear more about his status. I just don't think he's going to play this year, period. I think that they've already decided that after all of this time missed, he's just going to try to continue to maintain his health as much progress as he's made to this point and continue to progress to get ready for the next season, but not this one. I mean, I'd love to see him join the Flyers. I think he would be an asset for them if he was able to come back and step right into the role. But not only is he going to come off of that kind of a break, but he, he realistically wouldn't have played a competitive game for over a year. And that's just, I don't know if you can throw him into playoff games like that immediately and expect him to produce in that way. I think you have to give him something else to counterbalance it. So I think that they would just sit him out rather than try to play him. What about guys like uh, JVR, uh, Myers? You know, those were guys who were out as well. How about adding those two back? You add, you know, two healthy competitive guys. And remember, the Flyers were 12-3-0 in their last 15 games before everything kind of got hit the pause button here. Yeah, and both of those guys are going to be back, no question about it. Phil Myers, from my understanding, is completely healed and would be ready to play. At last check, maybe about a week or two ago, when a lot of the 2014 format was going through voting and things like that, JVR was still not completely 100%, but did sit there and say at the same time, you know, in normal playoff circumstances, players are playing through something almost all the time, and he said he would be playing if the situation called for it. Obviously, they don't have any firm dates, so by the time they were to come back, he'll be 100% as well, so they will be back in full capacity when the time comes. Uh, a couple things. Uh, they had questions. Um, number one, let me ask you, do you feel that the Carter Hart question is the number one question about this team 
once this 2014 tournament gets underway? I don't know if it's the number one, but I think it is almost a 1A to what my number one would be, which is kind of how do you come back from such a pause and pick up where you left off? And so much of it is driven by the goalie that that's why I kind of put it as a 1A, because you need Carter Hart to be as good as he was on home ice but and be that on in, in away games, obviously, as well, and since this is all going to be neutral. But at the same time, it goes for the rest of the players as well. Is everybody going to come back and be able to click as quickly as they – and get back to that shape as quickly as they were, as quickly as they can, and get to where they were when everything paused. It, it, it's really what had them in a position where people were talking about them for a Metro Metro Division lead, possibly winning the division, and making a lot of noise in the playoffs. And when you're winning as many games as you are, they won nine games in a row before losing to Boston and then the pausing. And you don't want to see that kind of progress just fade away because of this break. And it's it's always a possibility, though. I mean, you've been off for three months already, and you're going to probably be off for closer to four, four to five by the time you actually get back to playing. So it's it's a matter of coming back and trying to find that rhythm as quickly as you did then because after some slow moments in that first month or two, they really started to just ramp things up starting in mid-January and never looked back. And if you can be playing like that, not only at that time of the year, but carry it into typically what would have been April, May, and June, you're usually a team that's a force to be reckoned with. And that's a bigger question to me is how can they get back to where they were so quickly? And it's a big, it's a big time question that we really won't know the answer to until we see them play some form of a game, probably that first game against one of those top three that really provides an indication of where they are. Yeah, it's a little disappointing because everyone talks about having to play the right hockey at the right time, and the Flyers were definitely doing that, although some people would claim that maybe it was a little bit too early, but overall, they were definitely playing hot hockey at the right time. But I just look at where they're at in that fourth spot, and they're able to escape that play-in playoff round, which is so huge, and someone has to step up. I mean, one team is going to come out hot, more than one. There's going to be multiple teams that come out hot, multiple teams that come out slow. So when I look at this from a Flyers perspective, why not them? I mean, I feel like they have the mentality, the proper mentality, knowing where they were to come out really focused and mentally checked in. So why not them? And they are set up in a good spot to escape that play-in round. So I'm kind of optimistic for them. Yeah, and you know what? I'll, I'll throw something else in about that, too, is the one thing about the Flyers that not a lot of teams can say is, you know, aside from maybe hold for JVR, who was out for maybe the last two or three games before the pause was when his injury hit, but for the most part, they didn't have to play a prolonged period without a player that they're going to be expecting back. You take a look at some of the other teams. Tampa Bay is going to get Steven Stamkos back. Pittsburgh is going to get Jake Gensel back. Carolina is going to get Dougie Hamilton back. Those are all big names for those particular teams. But at the same time, those are guys that have missed months on end beforehand. So now you have to become accustomed to taking new acquisitions who you didn't have at the trade deadline or – just players that haven't been in the lineup for so long and find that chemistry again, whereas the Flyers are basically trying to go back and just replicate what they had literally a week before the pause, essentially. It's it's the same roster. It's really the same makeup, and it's just a matter of getting back into a rhythm of playing with each other again and not having to reintroduce yourself to one of your teammates in a sense where he's finally back on the ice, and this isn't normal training camp at first. It's kind of a prorated move it kind of quickly 
training camp to get back to the games as quickly as possible so you can award the Stanley Cup. And for other teams, I wonder if that could even be a hindrance for them. As, as much of a positive as it is that they get players of such talent level back, could it also hold them back in the sense that you haven't played with these guys for several weeks or maybe even months, whereas the Flyers come in with roughly the same team that they had on the day that the pause happened, everybody's healthy just like they were at that time with the exception of maybe one or two guys, and they can just jump right back into it with the same players. I think that that has a lot of weight as well. At Kevin underscore Durso. Kevin Durso covers the Flyers. The best hockey sweater from the 90s is what? For me, it was the uh, the 96 to 98 Phoenix Coyotes. I just love those jerseys. And I, I understand, I heard you guys talking about it yesterday, that, you know, yes, it was probably met with some, you know, it was met with some criticism in the beginning. It was a jersey that definitely made you say, what is that? But I had I owned one of them when I was a kid. I loved the style then when they brought it back recently. I loved it again. Most of the selections I put in my top five were jerseys that at some point in time growing up I owned in some capacity or also ones that have also made some form of a comeback down the road as well in, in some capacity. Even, you know, even the Hartford Whaler ones that we're talking about, the Carolina Hurricanes wore them for two games when they played Boston last season, and it was just cool to see them back on the ice. So it's cool to see some of these jerseys find ways to make a comeback and be part of it because they were so much a big part for me of my development and watching the game and seeing it on television as I was growing up. And by far they are my, the, the Phoenix Coyotes ones from the late nineties are my favorite ones from the nineties. No doubt. Uh, good stuff. That was fun yesterday. Uh, and your list, you can check it out at Kevin Durso. Uh, he tweeted out the pictures and everything. Uh, check it out. And of course, uh, when the flyers news happens at Kevin underscore Durso on Twitter and 97, three ESPN.com. All right, Kevin, thanks pal. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Stay safe. You too. Uh, I love when uh, the hockey guys throw in a Dougie. I knew. I, I saw you laughing over there, and I knew you were laughing at, at the name. I didn't know if you were just laughing at the fact that he was talking about a defenseman on the Carolina Hurricanes like Dougie Hamilton yeah, at a time Hamilton. like this. Yeah, Dougie. You're not a Dougie Hamilton guy? Well, if you're an NHL player, you can never just be Doug or Douglas. You've got to be Dougie. Well, I got to So here you go. One of my best friends, he plays pro out in the Netherlands. His name's Doug Rose. We call him Rosie. Oh, he doesn't get Dougie. He doesn't get Dougie. We go Rosie. Did he Did he outlaw Dougie? He didn't outlaw it. It's just you own the nickname. It's like Broach, you know? Like, I used to go by Brody forever. It turned into Broach. I'm surprised that, what, so he's Doug Rosie? Well, no, we just, it's always Rosie. Yo, Rosie. I would think Dougie would be the way to go on that one. Well, see, you you normally stick away from the first names when you're a hockey guy, nickname wise. You stay away from the first names. Yeah, well, you, well, Hamilton. You're not gonna be Hamiltony. No, it'd <laughs> be Hammy. Yeah, Hammy. Yeah, yeah. or like, Hammer. When I think of Rose, Rosie, that was like my grandmother. We used to call her Rosie. Well, that's just because you're out of the hockey nickname world. <laughs> Dougie Hamilton. You uh, would just be Gil, to be honest with you. Probably. Giller. Mikey. Gilsey. Coming up at three. Frank Close on the latest from baseball. Football at four with Andrew DeCecco. Gill. Weekdays from two to six. South Jersey's number one sports talk radio show on 97.3 ESPN FM. Eight to the top. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. Hunter Brody. At Broads 81. At Mike Gill Show. 
Follow us on Twitter for Ask Mike and Broads today at 4.30. Now, we got into it yesterday. If you missed it, check out the podcast in the third hour of yesterday's show, about halfway through the third hour of the show. And we kind of got into a Doug Peterson conversation. I'm interested to see what DeCheco thinks about that. Yeah, absolutely. So we basically went back and forth on how long of a leash that Doug Peterson has. And, you know, I would think that his... I would think he has minimally five years before the leash starts to get a little shorter. And that's if they go, you know, nine and seven, make the playoffs here and there, all five of those years. Yeah, I would say that's a good start. And one of the, I actually did a little bit of research and dug into some numbers with some more coaches. And Mike McCarthy stood out to me as one that I wanted to go back and look up because he won a Super Bowl and then he had some successful seasons with the Packers and then. They ended up firing him in 2018 after week 13. So a lot of the reason they, why he got fired though was him and he was bashing a little bit with well, him Aaron and Rodgers did right? not get along very well. Yeah, and maybe that was just because listen, when you are with someone for so long, at some point the fuse might just go out. And you're right though, that definitely plays a factor. But so they won the Super Bowl after a 10 and six season. He went 15 and one, 11 and five. 8 7 and 1 12 and 4 10 and 6 10 and 6 and then 7 and 9 4 7 and 1 A lot so of after, those years that they were not good though Rodgers had gotten hurt. Correct. No, that's very true. Um but think about that though. And, and I'm not saying the Eagles need to do what they did, but I just wanted to look around the league and see how other teams work after winning a Super Bowl and what it looks like. And it's crazy to think that he pretty much had one, two, three, four, five, six really good years and then one and a half bad years and then he's can't. Well, I think, the, again, I think that goes back to the fact that him and Rodgers did not get get along very well. I think if him and Rodgers got along well, he probably would still be the coach there. I do think that there's something to be said about that, but I also feel like people were underwhelmed with not winning the Super Bowl with him, so they were just underwhelmed with one playoff game, two playoff games, and it wasn't enough for their liking, I guess. Yeah, this is where, you know, I know people don't like to hear when I say irrational, but it's just irrational to think that you're a Super Bowl contender every single year. You're just not. You, you don't enter the year because you have a Green Bay Packer G on your helmet as a Super Bowl contender. It just with isn't what, logical. Right. Well, with what Mike McCarthy gave them after that Super Bowl run, that is not a fireable offense right. at all. 12 and 4, you said. I mean, I heard some crazy records in there that. Uh, all right, we'll get into some baseball on the other side. 50 games? Is that all? Frank Close with the answer. Coming up next on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app.